You want to do that before I do the intro then? Sure. Yeah, okay. Um, Don't do it immediately close to the mic. Just like, yeah, right about there. Wait, go ahead and pop it once so we can gain stage and then we'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah! That was awful. So much faster than I was, was expecting any resistance was, at all. He was in the middle of speaking. I think that made it better, honestly. Welcome <laughs> to Foes and Fables. No, that's no. my thing. <laughs> Jesus. Welcome to Foes and Fables. No, stop. This is insane. Welcome to Foes and Fables. Or no, that's not even the intro. Fuck me. <laughs> Welcome to Foes and Fables. No, stop. We're cutting you off. No more champagne for you. What do you mean? I haven't had any champagne. Okay, that's like your eighth glass, buddy. Um, Is that your drinking champagne? <laughs> yes. Mm. Um, to our listeners, he's actually mm. drinking sparkling grape juice, like an eight-year-old at a New Year's party. I put uh, I put soda water in a Gatorade. <laughs> Ew. You are gross for that. That's disgusting. I'm just so Bubbly happy. I almost, got, I almost got the spit take from Beeman. Oh my god. <laughs> Holy shit. I'm so fucking proud of that. Welcome to the fucking after party, motherfuckers. Holy shit. I'm your host. I'm your host, Tanner Azanero. Oh, and while I could be, oh, uh, uh, oh no, I did, I'm still not even doing the intro right. Welcome to the after party, uh, a house party rager for our characters to retire from the adventuring life uh, while our players do our best to record a podcast one room over from said rager. My name is Tanner Azanero, and while I could be in the living room uh, using the skulls of Tiamat's head as bongos a la, uh, a la Return of the Jedi, the ending of that movie, um, uh, with uh, our, your favorite in Foes and Fables character, Mr. Buddy. I'm here. Oh I'm here at the table recording this podcast. What's up? I'm Zach Stenzel. And while I could be hanging out with our favorite Barl Gura, swinging from branch to branch of the two trees that exist on this property. <laughs> Oh Instead, God. I am here recording a podcast. Hey, I'm Nathan Augustine, and while I could be with Lamentry at the Taco Bell fighting an employee hey, for his tacos. Back at the Taco Bell? Yep, they're there. <laughs> I'm stuck in this room recording what? a podcast. I feel like they probably went to the Taco Bell last after party. Everyone should listen. And then they came back, and then they realized the order was wrong and had to go back. Why does Lamentry have, like, GTA 5 energy <laughs> in the after party <laughs> world? I don't know. You keep it, doing this to him. I feel like it makes sense. Uh, this is David Surgis, and while I could be with Roman as he argue, argues the uh, benefits of cryptocurrency with Rowanna, I'm stuck here one room over recording this You're podcast. You're going to lose Ooh. that argument. You're so going to lose that argument. The argument is she walks Roman. away. <laughs> <laughs> I would be supporting our girl in that case. <laughs> well, Hughes girl. I'm David Beeman, and while I could be nervously fixing the trees that the Balragora is destroying. Um, (laughs) Instead, I'm sitting here amongst friends celebrating the finale 
of the chapter of Iris. Cheers. Wow. Cheers. Cheers. Look at that. <sighs> it, it is. Uh, it's <laughs> man. That's good tea. <laughs> It's really strong. <laughs> oh, it's boy. Um, first off, let me say to all of you, congratulations. Not only is this the end of another campaign um, together, uh, it is the end of a story. Um, and truly, I, I know as much as, you know, finishing Evergreen was a wonderful, like, end to um, the that chapter of the story, it really feels kind of different, like putting a close on Iris, um, especially since all together between all the episodes, it was a 40 episode um, arc, a 40 episode series. Um, and that's a substantial amount of sessions and, and hours of gameplay uh, to get through. And so for me, at least it, this really feels like the true first closing of a campaign um that i've ever gotten to be a part of um and i just want to say congrats to all of you and thank you for uh being a part of this story as well you're welcome it was a lot of very very hard work mm -hmm. i know i know mm -hmm. you're making a joke but it was sleepless nights <laughs> just Gosh, you know, and, and and all that time we put into writing this thing for you yeah. tanner uh, the amount of money that i spent I <laughs> the amount of money that i spent the amount of debt that i, I am in bankrupted my <laughs> <laughs> editing the script was really difficult too i gotta True. say um, changing my voice to sound like this every episode <laughs> you know what zach it's been long enough why don't you show him your real voice oh hello <laughs> great you have to talk like that <laughs> absolutely not i'm going back to my uh zach stenzel that reminds, what was the intro there's an intro to one episode where you're like oh excuse me <laughs> that's the same thing i sound like stewie griffin yeah. <laughs> brian <laughs> wow okay uh, our oh. best after party yet um man there's i feel like there's so much to talk about and so little time is there anything that anyone's like really wanting to say or, or specific things specific things to talk about we killed tiamat yeah <laughs> that was cool that was insane that fight was nuts so I'm having a hard time remembering everything. Will you give us a quick recap? <laughs> I can't. We don't have time. Um, but uh, I know. So we haven't gotten. We we had a a bathroom break for those of you who subscribe to our Patreon. You got to hear that. We had a bathroom break following um, the two episodes leading up to the last two episodes. Um, so I'm sure there's a honestly probably a lot of stuff from. Um, the penultimate episode, the battle of Nashville, and then the true finale and all of the, um, story implications of wrapping up your characters and everything. Um, cause that was like six hours of, yeah, a lot of, of play. Stuff. A lot of stuff. Like those are both happened. like 30 or three hour, like episodes. A lot of stuff nuts. happened. Is there any, um, like maybe we'll jump into the nitty gritty first. Are there any like questions for me or things moments from that ending that you kind of want to talk about or, or really stick out to you? Are you shocked? We all made it out alive a little bit. Um, I built the Tiamat fight in the way that I build, um, many other moments uh in the podcast where i kind of create a problem and i don't create a solution mm -hmm. um i kind of was just like this is gonna be 
because also I, I didn't really have Tiamat and that fight. I had an idea of what I wanted to do with Tiamat. Um, but I didn't have any kind of goal for you guys in, in the finale's case being, um, the severing of Tiamat's head simultaneously via the multiverse. Um, I didn't have that plan until, uh, Oliver decided that that was the route that you guys wanted to go um, there. I, I built Tiamat as if you guys were going to have to like slug your way through mm -hmm. killing all the heads individually, which aren't straight up like not it, possible. It would have been like maybe a 10, 12 hour episode, like, like <laughs> of a just long combat, fight, a long yeah, fight. That's tough. Um, <clears throat> so like truly like, a nearly impossible mountain to climb. Um, I liked how it worked though, because it, it, it gave each character their own moment to shine. It gave us this overarching plan, but it also had this sense of like, you know, at any moment, if someone needed, like if we needed to sacrifice people, we could have, if like, you know, someone wasn't able to make it out of the portals, but they were the one person left and all the heads were in. Like, I don't, think any of us would have hesitated to be like close the portals 100 mm -hmm. i did think that that could possibly happen um if not character death i did think that a sacrifice of some sort uh was very likely very very likely speaking of individual character moments there were two uh, written descriptions I actually didn't get to read during um, the Tiamat combat oh. uh, because I wrote these specific visions that you all experienced uh, through the Scold's bridal head. Oh, yeah. uh, we got to experience uh, uh, I believe Oliver's? Yes. Oliver's and, and Romans. Oliver's and Romans. Mm -hmm. um, so I would love to read the descriptions yeah. of uh, what Kurt and and Hugh would have experienced. This won't be fun, but I do think it'll be <laughs> interesting. Uh, nice for you guys to hear. I think it's fun. Yeah. So let's say in this moment, the uh, Scold's bridal head targets Kurt. <gasps> Kurt, ah! a vision. Can I, wait, let me make a save. Let him make Let him make a save. Okay, go ahead. I, I didn't what, say he couldn't. What do I add? Uh, 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 it Plus would be... 20. I think it was... Wisdom? I think it was charisma. Actually, uh, like, no, give me two it's seconds. Not great for me. Give me two seconds. Well, but if you save, we can't hear the description. <laughs> no, you still hear the description. Wouldn't that be really he just funny? Takes half damage. Yeah. Um, so. Oh. 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 Uh, charisma. No, I have a minus one to these. So. Fifteen. Uh, you fail. Um, <laughs> what was the DC? Twenty-one. Twenty-three. What's nine plus ten? Um, Twenty-one. Kurt, a vision overtakes you. You stand seemingly upon nothingness. Beneath you is the empty night sky, void of any stars, light, or life. Confused by this, you look up above you, whereas the sky is beneath you, above your head is a forest of evergreens, the same forest where you gained your book and your magic. The tops of the trees reach down toward you, and it begins to rain from these evergreens, but it rains blood. Blood drips from the tips of these trees, and a being stands before you, floating on nothingness just as you are, it is a horrific image of the Archfaith Verge. His hands are nailed to a crucifix, and a crown of thorns grows out of his skull. He is only a torso, 
with his lower half bisected haphazardly across his stomach. His innards hang out from his corpse and spill out onto the wood of the crucifix. He looks up at you. Kern, there wasn't any fighting this. This life is hell, and it was my duty to guide us out of it. What do you even have left to cling to that makes you think this earth is worth saving, you asshole? <laughs> and that's the vision. That's Kurt's vision. That is terrifying. You, ab- you absolutely took me out of that set. I was really enjoying that. Honestly, there that's Tanner's several... fault for writing the word duty into the thing directed I know at if, me. I, it's the fact, he, as he soon as I said it, right as soon as I said it, I was like, this is an after party. He's gonna say it. Well, it's also worth noting, even in campaign, there were times when Zach would say things and I had to deliberately not look at anyone. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, 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 Hugh, let, go ahead and roll me a, a charisma saving throw. Oh, please. Okay. Uh, or don't forget your minus two. Oh, wait. Okay. So, because I never asked about this. Is that... Well, it's maybe in it addition matter. to your modifier. So, okay. I guess that doesn't make it a difference. If my modifier is plus one, then... So you would, a have a you would have a minus one. You would have a minus one, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I rolled a four. Okay, you fail. <laughs> oh, dang it. <laughs> uh, Hugh, a vision overtakes you. You sit on a cliff with your feet dangling over the side. You cradle Lamentry in your arms, and Lamentry cradles blooms within his. They are both asleep. A voice next to you draws your attention to your right. Just let them sleep. There's no need for them to be scared. It's Roanna. You look out from this cliff and you see the city of Spokane. Even further in the distance, you see what looks to be a nuclear explosion of necroversal magic. All is lost, and the end is moments away as you watch this magic grow closer and closer. There's nothing we could have done. Another voice on your left speaks. It's Lila. Hugh, if you could go back and do things differently, would you? Knowing that there's nothing at the end of it all. Knowing there's no point. That would be the end of the scene. Dang. What made you laugh? Yeah, what? What? <laughs> seriously, what made you laugh? Was it thinking of me saying duty? <laughs> no. Okay. So have you guys... <clears throat> seen that movie knowing with nicholas cage oh yeah unfortunately we can yes. only see we can see into the future but yes. only like 15 seconds uh-huh. yes yes so the, the nuclear explosion and all that was like reminding me so much of the ending of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you said if you could go back would you do things differently <laughs> the ending is literally a flashing back wow. to him and he's like i could do everything differently <laughs> so it's just nicholas Dang. cage those I'm are sorry. intense verge i know you've talked about this being like verge being your favorite npc i want to know what would you like what was the plan had i not given verge the book because like I felt so bad as soon as like we learned that that he did all this shit because he had my book. I was 
pissed. There's a lot of things in Iris that I got lucky with as a writer because my initial thought was that you would give Verge the book. That was why I introduced I mean, yeah, you gave me no reason not to. And I didn't really know what to do if you didn't. Um, I obviously would have figured something out um, and there would have been either like a different explanation for things or Mm. or um, a different roundabout way or maybe even a more aggressive way to get the book from you. Mm. Um, But that was always my intention um, that that book would kind of be verges like verge wasn't a threat to you guys until he like came into contact with that book like verge was essentially just dang it lying in wait until the method for him to open up the door uh uh from the necroverse to your universe was there and as soon as it was there he was like okay this is what i've been essentially raised my entire life to do so this is my destiny i have to do this do you think he would have found a different way if we had not given him the book, he might, it, I, I, I wasn't sure like you like as a writer, like, would you have made that happen regardless? I mean, the, the intention was always for verge to kind of be not the big, bad, evil guy. Cause that's definitely Tiamat, but definitely a <clears throat> extension of, of that minor um, antagonist. If yes. You will. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, so probably it may have been more aggressive. It may have been like, I really went after Kurt, um, with verge and like a, a, a twisty, uh, you know, kind of way. Um, and I'm not died. sure I didn't have to think about it cause it yeah. worked out in, you know, the yeah. favor of, yeah, uh, let me just give him my book. Um, but yes, I, uh, verge is one of the, my, uh, favorite characters that I've ever gotten to make. Um, there's a lot of layers to verge and there's a lot of things that verge kind of represents to me. Um, and, uh, a a lot of different kind of purposes for that character. Um, I honestly, I was surprised when you guys kind of killed him. Um, I was a little, I don't know if you caught it. I was a little emotional when you guys killed him. Um, because verge, and and I, I I ended up after like when I sat down to write more after that moment, um, I was actually kind of I was very satisfied with your guys's decision to do that, um, because it just makes Verge's story more tragic, and I had kind of I I was kind of hoping that there would be kind of a moment of redemption with Verge that would be given by your party. And that didn't happen. And that was kind of what made me upset just because I was like, man, there's a potential for this kind of beautiful moment of redemption kind of gifted to verge through you guys. But then when I was writing about afterwards, I was like, that doesn't make any fucking sense that like, there's a like, there's a reason you guys did what you did. I I just speaking as a player and also kind of through the lens of Hugh, I I feel like we kind of had enough of the whole, like fool me once Mm -hmm. like, like, in evergreen and iris combined we had a lot of that like okay we're gonna give this guy the benefit benefit of the doubt we're gonna trust him and then it backfires later on Mm -hmm. so i mean i feel like out of everyone obviously hugh was like bottom of the list of people who wanted verge to die but even hugh got pushed to a place where it's like you know what like you know i'm i'm tired of giving people second chances yeah i that's interesting because i do want to ask because I got the killing blow 
and I like paused to ask everyone if they wanted mercy and you stepped in and then you stepped out. If you had rolled the killing hit, would you have spared him? You think? Uh, Hugh? Yeah. He probably would have. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's been like an interesting thing. Um, with Hugh, because I, I still sometimes think back to that moment after the surprise attack mm. when Hugh um, killed that assassin, I guess is what mm-hmm. we call him. Yeah. Um, and I think for me as a player, that was kind of me sort of trying to gauge where Hugh was at with all of that. Because I know like in the beginning of Iris, I really wanted Hugh to have a little bit of character development and the way of wrestling with his past and his relationship with his father and that whole notion of like, as we grow up, whether or not we like it, we become our parents, right? And so I I think throughout Iris, there was always a little bit of Hugh wrestling with his adolescence, as well as sort of deciding who he was going to be as an adult, like what his major influences were gonna be and and sort of what his values were, I guess. But I I think in the end, he would have wanted to spare Verge. Mm -hmm. I, I think that at the end of the day, Hugh still kind of isn't isn't one to just I don't know kill outright like that I don't know I mean I wanted to spill or spill I wanted to spare clinker dagger um, <laughs> and that kind of turned out pretty interesting actually mm-hmm. I think the way that clinker dagger played into um, you like Oliver or Nathan like traveling the multiverses and all that kind of stuff yeah I think that I think that worked out for the better I think him staying alive made the right dynamic for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of didn't really want to kill Clinker Dagger either as Nathan more so than Oliver. Oliver obviously really wanted him dead, but I think yeah. Oliver being his keeper for like the rest of time also works or at, and I don't know uh, whenever he gets super old, maybe he'll just let Clinker Dagger have like, the final blow just to like it's like a punch from a goldfish is just the last I mean, like to release his soul in other words because like that's the thing he's bound on so i do have to admit that like there was a lot of out of character me that was pushing to keep clinker dagger alive because <laughs> as a listener i love the dynamic no yeah I it was yeah, it was yeah. fun yeah. it worked out for the best and your fanny pack like <laughs> like um well, I, was Tanner, was it you that, that compared it to like the like monkey on your shoulder or monkey on your back or something? I think it like was that? Nathan, honestly. Or, or, oh, I, yeah. I think I probably mm-hmm. made that comparison. Yeah. Um, I had a. This kind of goes back to what ifs, um, especially around the final battle kind of deal. Um, I was wondering, depending on what I rolled for my machine, I know we met with Frank, but who are the other possibilities that hoping we could have pulled from there is one in particular but i question. really yeah. would like to talk about that i think hugh got a glimpse of in the multiple different realities that i was having you roll for in the middle of the fight yeah there was one specific um timeline that was kind of the if you rolled poorly that's where you would go um <laughs> red and I think he rolled a six when I just had him roll a D20 to see what timeline he was flying. Oh, so were those rolls like kind of coinciding with the same roll I was making? Yes, they were. Oh, cool. They were. That's Um, neat. And that timeline was a happening where as far as the eye could see, there was just ocean. Um, 
Yes. Uh, that timeline is a timeline where the death of uh, you guys via clinker dagger um, uh, made Roanna go crazy and drown the entire earth and uh, kill everyone. And uh, had you spent more time or had Oliver gone there, he would not have found a helpful archmage who knew about the, the necroverse. He would have found a violent and crazed sea witch unrecognizable to you. That sounds Damn. tight. Can we go back and do wow. that? So, um, <laughs> so Hugh dodged a bullet. <laughs> true, true. Like, so he rolled a six and cause these were all luck checks. Like he rolled yeah. a 19. Was there anything better? Had he gotten a, a nat 20? Um, straight up. I had those two ideas in my head and anything else that you would have rolled. <laughs> I would have come up with on the fly. I probably would have come up with something different for a nat 20. So close. Um, honestly, uh, you find Jesus Tiamat, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you find Jesus Christ. <laughs> Even Oh, by the time this comes out, that's such an old trend. Not really. It's been going for like a month. No, now. but by the time Wait. this comes oh, yeah. out, okay, sure. I, there's it's a like t- a, it's like a TikTok like trend. Band? I'll we'll show you. We'll yeah, show you. Pearl Jam. We'll yes. Pearl Jam. Yes. But no. Tanner. Pearl Jam's been around a while. I'll tell you after it's tell after the after. It's amazing. I've listened to Pearl Jam. I know you have. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> anyway, I don't understand. What do you guys? We'll explain care? it to you later. Oh I also don't know. Uh, so I kind of, I was kind of making shit up in that yeah. moment because I wasn't sure if Oliver was gonna like. That was kind of a pivotal moment of the podcast that I left in your hands. Of what solution do you want to go after mm-hmm. to inform me as a writer to? be like, okay, if this is the way you want to approach the Tiamat fight with your kind of, you know, left hook, what's the thing you're going to do rather than just brute force your way through a fight, you tell me and I will then show you the path of making that work. Mm. So that was something that was kind of in your guys' hands. So when you were rolling that, I was like, we'll see what he rolls and we'll see what pops up into my brain. And those were the first two things that I thought of in terms Mm. of like a bad and a good, um, I'm not, I'm not sure what else I, I, I would have come up with or who else I would have uh, 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 thought of. But I, I felt like returning to I know Clahaney was like the final boss of Evergreen, but like really Frank was mm-hmm. like the main antagonist. He was of Evergreen. the force. Yeah, he was yeah. the reason oh. kind of behind everything happening. Um so I thought that would be interesting to return that character in a way where it's like, he's the same dude, but his like reasons were different. Mm-hmm. The The difference between your Frank and that happening Frank is that happening. Frank sought out Lichdom because they wanted to defeat the Necroverse and protect what they had. Mm-hmm. Um, your, your happenings, Frank, um, was seeking lichdom for power and found out about the necroverse in that path already to lichdom. Yeah. So that's like the two main differences between them is the so crazy kind of order of, of information about the, the necroverse. And Those are that role. And the other role we did with that die where we each put a finger on it and crazy, it, crazy. are insane. Yeah. Like that was, 
probably one of the most important roles of the campaign that we haven't gotten to talk about yet because like we were in the middle of that fight just getting beat and like i thought it was, it, like it was tough because thing. like like Nathan and I were kind of like, we got to ride this out. We've just yeah. been really unlucky with our roles. Super unlucky. And you guys were like, we got to get out of here. Obviously, this isn't a winning fight. And then we got that. And every, like, we got healed. We got our allies there. Like, it was so cool. And, like, it was so, it was amazing from both perspectives, like, as a player and as a character. Because, like, as a player, I was like, we're getting beat. I'm running out of things. There's these stupid little imps. Um, and, which was a very cool mechanic, by the way. That was that was really cool, especially because a stupid. L- they, they were stupid. Yeah, they were stupid. But like, because you didn't have a ton of bad guys who could counterspell me throughout this campaign, to have ones dedicated to do so was awesome. That fight um, is the only fight where I've ever done research. <laughs> I I straight up, not joking. I went back and listened through multiple of our combats and i was like what do they do how do they get the upper hand on bro me? did his own research what, what that's spells, crazy what spells do they cast yeah. wow you listen to your own <laughs> <laughs> no but it was uh, sick because like there was so many things going on like additional things the counterspell thing the really big guy who could drain healing and we were just like, what do we do? And then Verge entered the fight. And then like Kirtland's intention was immediately to like, let's kill this guy, which is why I use like my high level spell that had the potential to just outright kill him. Because on that note that we talked about earlier of like, you know, would we have left him alive or dead? Kirtland along with it, was like mm-hmm. he again felt super responsible that all this happened because he gave him the book willingly. And he was like, you know, as a player, it was like, there was so much going on that it was like, we just have to make this decision and move on. Like Mm -hmm. if this was any other time, that would have been this pivotal moment of like so much going on. But like we had, we were in the middle of this battle. It just had to happen. And we knew there was this bigger fight looming. So we were like, this guy's small potatoes, get him out of here. So just that, that role was amazing. Yeah, um, I'm I'm really satisfied by all the really big like final moments of of the story. I I think they all kind of worked out really well to you know finish telling the story and really reward the epicness of what your characters were trying to accomplish. Um, and uh, uh, to continue kind of talking about Verge a little bit because I did want to get into kind of the. Um, writing purpose behind his character i've talked about this before and i straight up was honestly a little i don't want to say surprised like i thought like i was like why didn't they figure this out but more just like i was i was it was funny to me that nobody distrusted verge i will say it on the podcast here i had to keep a straight fucking face months before uh the end months before the finale when tyler and i were having a conversation tyler dran who played arthur chris moral for our listeners tyler and i were having a conversation he was like i feel like verge is like this like secret like up to no good guy and i had to be like Love Tyler. holy fuck what the fuck how did you fucking do that? and i i just had to fucking like straight face the am so uh props to tyler yeah. for like wow. really it was it's, it's, tyler's it, like really smart <laughs> it's just tough because like you threw so many complex characters that it was like you know we had a lot of characters i know it was a lot of characters but it was like you know we went into this after evergreen being like we can't trust 
anyone basically and then it was like all right we know we can't trust some of these people but more we can trust more of some of them more than others and then the party was split on who we could trust and like with it just being such a foil to Hiram and with everything else going on it really like you know didn't make sense and especially as you threw the like as we were learning about the necroverse and then david's dreams about or, or roman's dreams about the boy and like he was so sure it was this Hiram, but we were sure it was maybe a different Hiram. and like that being thrown off there was no reason to suspect verge and it was like you know what at least it wasn't even a like we know we've got a solid ally in this it was like he's just here and he'll he'll we'll deal with this later because we've got all this other pressing stuff yeah if I hadn't gone to Verge in the book, like when we shifted up expectations, would I ever have learned that TMI was manipulating me via dreams? Uh, I'm sure you would have. Uh, the Somehow. plan The plan was for the exposition to be given to Kurt yeah. for the, uh, before uh, Kurt dies. Straight up. Like, that was <laughs> still my favorite moment mm-hmm. in probably both campaigns yeah. of like yeah. everything that we have done, maybe in honestly all of Foes and Fables. Mm-hmm. That decision by Roman mm. to shake things up and have us all go to different places, by far my favorite moment. Honestly, maybe playing D anD D. It's at all. It, that moment I really wrestled with because it was kind of a scripted death in a way because Rude. there wasn't not in like a <laughs> not in like a DM versus player right. way where I was out to get you, but in a way where as I was writing, I was like. I don't see a way mm-hmm. where this situation goes that Verge doesn't kill Kurt yeah. with the upper hand. Yeah. So I knew that that situation was there. And I was honestly, as a writer and as a DM, I was a little afraid. I was like, I'm going to put it, I'm going to leave open a situation for one of my players to die blindsided outright without their, um, you know, ability to, uh, circumvent it and then you guys still circumvented it and I think as it like for anybody listening on the DM side like there is this there's this level there's this balance of of DMing where I think sometimes you gotta just throw situations out to your players and let them hero their own way out of it like because e- even if I had gotten uh, even if the Kirtland death had occurred I best believe that your gut, you guys as a party would have like mm-hmm. ran over any other thing that I put in front of you to f- correct or fix mm-hmm. uh, yep. that situation. You would have buddied up with Hiram like he was holding over your head um, at the end there the whole time. You would have done whatever you needed to correct that situation for sure. So I felt comfortable in that, you know, putting the situation out there um, forward. But the fact that you guys still were just like, no we're gonna do we're not gonna like just waltz into this you know as Mm. planned that was i don't know it it, that's was such a beautiful example of why i love this game uh just of that collaboration of the story and it going way different than any of us could have expected i have now learned anytime that tanner's gonna be my dm i have to take the alert feed so i cannot be surprised because tanner (laughs) loves the fucking surprise condition but also tanner has said multiple times i've heard him say this more than once that like one of his favorite feats is the alert feed yep i've heard you say that Mm -hmm. time and time again and it's funny because it has shined more in your dming than you're playing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I was kind of wanted to save this question for later, but it's just way too good of a segue, honestly. Um, with all the questions of like what if and and all that, and you talking about your like is a DM reacting to what we do? I've been dying to ask you. Could you just talk a little bit more, like as a DM, as far as like writing or preparation goes? It, it, like being led through this whole story, there are so many moments in dice rolls and things that just shake up what is happening and, and tell the story. I've always kind of wondered, like when you're writing, how much of this is like prepared? How much of this do you accept that you can't be prepared for? How much of it is on the fly? Like, were there times when we shook you up when you maybe were stumped or didn't know how to respond? I, I guess with the way that things can be when we play D and D where things can kind of just happen. There's kind of this chaotic nature, um, that comes with something like rolling die. I've just kind of always wondered, like, as you're writing these campaigns, like what's that dynamic like for you? I'm going to kind of answer that in a real, I'm going to back out and answer it in a really broad, I guess, kind of making this a different section of this conversation way. Um, and I'm going to answer kind of from my writing perspective on Iris as a whole and the way that I was approaching it as a whole. Um, as we've talked about, Evergreen was very much a reflection of, you know, my coming of age story and me wanting to, you know, process uh, uh, my experiences in that uh, through the story and everything. Um, and so when I was thinking uh, early, when we were recording evergreen, when I started thinking about Iris, I was wondering, you know, like, okay, where, where do I kind of want to take this and keep it in that same vein of, you know, processing an experience or processing like a real life, uh, you know, uh, aspect, um, through the next part of this story. Um, and uh at the time when i was writing it that was when you know the like hardcore like bad shit christian nationalism stuff was kind of really um i don't even want to say at its peak because what's been kind of interesting to see uh this episode's still going to come out like way late into um you know after well after we've actually had this conversation but in the midst of this we're still seeing you know, that rampant wave of just hate, uh, hate speech, um, hate, hateful legislation, um, still just overtaking, you know, a, a lot of the political conversations in, in our country right now. Um, and a lot of it is, is bred from, uh, the, uh, Christian nationalism and the far right, you know, movement in, in that regard. Um, and, uh, you know, so that was kind of where my mindset was at for it. And I gave you guys kind of the heads up at the beginning. I was like, Hey, this campaign's going to talk about, you know, um, we're going to, we're going to deal with stuff like uh, Christian nationalism. We're going to deal with stuff like police brutality, things like that. Um, kind of, you know, giving you the, the, the prep work. Um, cause I knew the evergreen got to a heavy point. So I wanted to kind of give you the heads up. Like we're going to go, you know, a little bit further with this one. Um, from the beginning. Uh, and so then when I knew that that was the concept, um, I started thinking about how I wanted to approach things and real broad terms. I wanted there to be, um, I wanted your like mainline antagonist throughout the mo throughout the majority of the story, um, to be, uh, systemic issues 
and kind of a broken system um, kind of uh, affecting the world around you and, and, and existing as your players, as your characters in a world with a system that is that is broken and hurting people. And I've talked about this before, and I know talking about it again is going to shoot me in the foot for later. But one thing that I really like to do as a writer is the one two punch. Uh, in a campaign, I like there being this is this is your main uh, antagonist. This is your focus. This is all that um, and everything, you know, that you're dealing with ramps up to this mainline enemy and this mainline obstacle and issue. And then that issue is either taken care of, resolved or muted for the moment. And then they're from that issue affecting the world. Here's this even more dangerous like real problem that is bred from that situation. So that was why Hiram and Knox were kind of the two big bads for most of the campaign. Um, and that whole, you know, uh, sit the whole system, uh, were kind of the whole big bads for the main campaign. And then there's verge, um, and verge represented the, effects of a system like that on someone who in again speaking really broad terms who grew up in such a negative environment affected by faith affected by um uh toxic horrible abusive parenting um and you know was a victim until he wasn't um and that was kind of Verge's whole thing is that there's in this world, there are people who get beat down by the system so fucking hard that of course they're going to turn into a fucking monster. But once they've become a monster, then it's really hard to, you know, care about um, the the path that brought them there. And so the, in, in my brain, you know, the solution to that is is caring while they're on the path that brought them to being a monster is, is recognizing things like that and stopping systemic problems um, like Hiram, like Knox before a verge is created, who is so chaotic, so dangerous and so uh, 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 deeply rooted in their beliefs that the destruction of everything around them is, is built into the, the being of who they are. Um, you know, verge is the, is the violent reaction of a, of an abused person. Um, the wrong violent reaction for sure. Verge is not like there's again, there's no reason to feel sorry for verge by the end of it when he takes everything that he's been through and throws it out on the world. But the, it's not black and white. You do have to think about the fact where it's like, what else, what else was verge going to do? Like really nothing. And you shouldn't feel bad for him about that, but you should understand that the over the, the overarching issue is this world that just creates uh, dangerous people like that. Um, it's a much different dynamic. Um, it's a very different dynamic comparing Iris to Evergreen. Mm -hmm. And I guess what I want to know is in relation to our characters, was that intentional? And I guess what I mean by that is Evergreen being this coming of age story, right? When you're younger, when you're a teenager, when you're, you know, latter half of high school, 17, 18, it's, it's all very, focused on you, right? As a person, uh, in that stage of your life, it's, it's how are things on the home front? 
How are things with your friend? How are friends? Like, how are things with your social group? But as you get older, as you become an adult, you start to see, hopefully, the world more so as it is. You start to think of bigger issues. You start to think of, like, what are my legislators doing? What mm -hmm. laws are being passed? What is the Supreme Court doing? Mm -hmm. And looking at our characters as individuals, you see them in Evergreen go through these issues of like family trauma and things that you had mentioned, issues we touched on in Evergreen, sort of moving from that into Iris where the issues are a lot bigger. It's a lot more about politics and like you mentioned, police brutality and evil, hateful legislation and scary, charismatic leaders. It, it, I guess in relation to like our character specifically, was this an intentional move when you were writing Iris? Were you saying, okay, like these kids are getting older. Like I want to introduce them to the whole entire world. Like we've seen them overcome these personal issues on the home front. Let's introduce them to these more broader, more challenging and kind of gray area sort of concepts. hundred percent. I mean, it was, it also is, I just wanted it to reflect again. I wanted it to reflect how I felt as an adult in, you know, that situation where, Yes, it becomes about all these big overarching issues and things that are in a lot of ways in like truly out of your control, which then those big issues and, and outlying things that are happening all around you reflect back on you and what you can control. And whereas Evergreen is about coming of age and kind of finding who you are, Iris more for your characters was about finding your place amongst the world and loving who you are, you know, and, and love learning to love yourself within that place um, of, uh, you know, just not learning to love yourself in a world that you can't control and a world that is unfamiliar and a world where there are bad actors and people out to get other people that you care about and people who don't have good intentions mm -hmm. and, and systems that are, are wrong and, and not fair and built to harm people. Um, you know, how do you, how do you handle that? as much as you're able to, how do you accept that you're not able to handle all of it? And at the end of the day, how do you love yourself amidst that chaos? I think it's also, <clears throat> I think it's also interesting to look at like, you know, as things changed in Iris, how the people who were trying to do that still were taking measures that could be viewed as that where like, I look at, I look at steel who is like, all right, I'm firing the entire police force. We're shutting things down that way recognizing yeah that's probably not the best choice but it's the one that needs to be made right now where it's like you know that is a very gray decision that's not black and white where it's like you know if you think about it from like a micro lens like those are a bunch of people that just lost their jobs mm -hmm. and it is a system that is corrupt that like you know was kind of the reason that kirtland didn't want to take that route of just like gut the whole system and try again later and instead was like let's you know change from the inside and then seeing as things go that like people are going to stop you from change on the inside and how difficult that can be to actually achieve. And so like that idea that it, like a, a good story villain is complex in 
there's nothing more complex than systematic evil. And so shutting that down versus just like, you know, you say D and D and it's like the party kills the evil wizard who stole the princess. Like, you know, so much fun to play a game like that. But like to think about it in complex views of like, you know what you can empathize with someone like verge. You can understand why Knox did what he did. You can understand why people were following Hiram. You can understand all that's going on while still not agreeing with it. hundred percent. And what's always interesting to me with that too, is because obviously we, a decent, I think most of us or all of us listen back to certain episodes as the campaign goes through. We think about the campaign, not when we're playing, I am always a big fan of wanting because I love the D and D allows multiple characters and multiple players because and my always my goal is not to let my character in the party just follow the party. I don't want like homogenous party, which I love Iris and Evergreen for that reason because we didn't do that. Mm. And the one thing I always found interesting is as like you go into the real world, you know, you kind of notice. I did. I also do things that aren't great sometimes, mm. and I very deliberately like. I mean, I even think of Roman killing Verge. Like, I deliberately made that death brutal. Like, it wasn't meant to be a good thing. That was very deliberate. Roman doesn't know forgiveness, and that is his flaw. Yeah, and that's, and, that's interesting in D&D, because it's like, you know, you come into it with, like, I want to play the hero, but then playing them, especially in a real-world setting of, like, you know, these are places we drive to every single day, to play them, it's like, you know what, like yes, my character is an extension to me, but yes, this is this ideal thing, but playing it in a more real sense like that, I love. And it's also funny because I think about each of our characters and I'm curious how you all think of this too, is like, I mean, Roman brutally killed several things. Uh, I think most on that list being Verge and then the unlike the failing to notice Nox. Oliver let uh, the tomato queen die and didn't step in there. Hugh brutally murdered the assassin. Kurt is the only one I can't think of what he technically did, quote unquote, bad. I mean, like, he gave, which is funny because, well, you he gave Verge the book, but, but that, that was not deliberately like yeah. I'm doing this for like selfish mm-hmm. protective reasons or vendetta reasons, which is funny because I remember uh, Tanner in quoting you like getting your book back on your side was like, you are the steadfast one. <laughs> The, there, yeah, I was like, about I love to how say the themes complete themselves regardless. I was about to say Kurt's character is so fucking solid throughout the whole, you know, and, and Kurt is special in that way. Like, like not more so than the rest of your mm-hmm. characters, but just like that is an element that your party fucking needed. Mm-hmm. And that is an element that you as friends needed from each other is Kurt's steadfastness and, and reliability and, all those you know qualities that are uh, really hard mm-hmm. to come by and the one thing that that seems to stop an archmage from going power hungry and <laughs> seeking knowledge yeah. to a fault that they turn themselves into a monster yeah. like well, that, magic picks someone with really strong values yeah, yeah. and, and, and Roman <laughs> would have played the game that was him and kurt's first argument right Roman would be like i'm playing the game and you said no and then you didn't let me do it right yeah which I mean, was the right thing to do i i think you know writing kurt in the way that i did where it was starting off as this just like timid voice of the group wanted to go with the flow didn't want to 
you know, make his own decision or cause any ruckus to then realizing that that in and of itself, you know, he learned very two big things from the two big bads of evergreen. He learned that as the archmage, yes, there's the pursuit of knowledge, but you can't let it become the sole focus that drives you mad and brings to power, which is exactly what Frank did. And he also learned you can't just stand by and let things happen like Clahaney did. And so like, yeah, Kurt, was a, like Kurt, someone that I wish I could be friends with. Like Kurt's a homie. Uh, and like, that's why I loved him. And that's why I would have been so mad if Tanner would have killed him. Um, <laughs> and, and especially cause it would have been such a blow to the party. No. Like, terrible. Like, I mean, we would have just fired you and hired some other. <laughs> yeah, they they would have hired me. I, I would have been the new I think DM. We would have become murder hobos, yeah. <laughs> but like also like I would be, I would want to be friends with all of your characters. And that being said is because be they're all, extensions of you guys who i'm already friends with like i see incredible parts of each and every one of you in your characters and seeing where like you change aspects of yourself or you alter things or you exaggerate or you whatever you do to make these characters unique from yourself that is what has made this campaign these two campaigns so special is that these characters are so personally linked to us. We played in settings that we could vision ourselves in and we put ourselves there. And I think that's awesome that as a group of friends, we got to just play a group of friends. I 100% agree. And the whole, your character is whether you like it or not, it's an extension of you. It made me feel like I was going on this adventure with all my friends. Yeah, I think I think the setting and just everything, the environment was so tangible because obviously we live in the very place <laughs> we were playing in. Uh, so I think we won't be able to, to some extent, experience the same way we did with this campaign and any mm-hmm. other campaign because everything else at least has some element that makes it an escape at least more so than this, than Evergreen and Iris uh, presented to us because yeah, it's an escape and it's like, there's magic and there's weird things and all that, but it's still so grounded in Mm -hmm. reality. So I don't know. I've never related more to a hippo from the Navy. So, (laughs) you know, it It, it literally wasn't until this after party, like this very moment, I realized this setting gave death so much weight. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. At least for me, like I didn't. If we would have buried our characters, we could literally have driven to the cemetery. I didn't even realize this until now. But the fact that like these settings are Spokane, Washington and Nashville, Tennessee, and a lot of the people we're interacting with are humans. It made death feel super real. Mm -hmm. Like you really like sure you can fall in love with an NPC in a fantasy world, you know, in a similar way. But like, at least for me as a person, it made the stakes feel feel a lot higher and stakes make for a good game i think i think stakes this this campaign especially has had such high stakes and what do we do if people want them well done we send them oh we tell them politely yet firmly to leave (laughs) well (laughs) never mind i guess why would anyone do drugs when they could just mow a lawn any no this is to what this podcast brought to you by the midwest what were we talking about we were talking about Steak. how grounded yeah. <laughs> Evergreen and uh, no, like, 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 like that, that is what made 
like what David was talking about earlier with like the best moment from foes and fables being that subversion of expectations, knowing after it happened that it's like, you know, all these stakes are going on because it's this tense situation, but knowing had we done it differently, like we would have been a party member short and like a lot of things would have it. Like this campaign would be so boring if there wasn't the chance, like as much as we like, yell at Tanner for planning our character deaths. Like it would be so much more boring and less, you know, touching of a story if there wasn't that actual possibility. I mean, sorry, Tanner, go ahead. No, go ahead. I mean, I'll say it until I'm blue in the face, but like a part of me really wanted Roman to die, but that all leads to this question for you three. Hey, uh, cause like I came up with three different endings for Roman. Did you guys have other epilogues in mind for your characters? <gasps> oh, I, cause question. I know for me, like I had three and it entirely depended on if I died or if anyone else. Wait, died. before we go, what were your three? I mean, the one that did happen obviously was Roman actually finding peace. Uh, <laughs> heaven forbid he found peace. Uh, the other was he died and it, depending on how Tanner handled the afterlife, I had a whole image in mind. The last one was if one of you guys died, Roman was going the path of lichdom. Like he would have Dang. done anything it took to take revenge on the Necroverse and it, it would have been bad. Like you that's guys nice. would have had to kill Roman in the end. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. I again, I he got the good ending. <laughs> That's good. I think we all did. I mean, yeah. like Tanner kind of really set it up where like he had you had your amazing ending that you read, but like let us kind of interact with it, which was awesome. And it played well with like I was I the day of the finale, I was at work and I was like, I need to write something out of like what is Kurt's end game? Like literally the Google Doc is named Kurt's end game. Um and it was what I had hoped for, where like you know, I, I wrote a few extra little bits and bobbles that I didn't get to say, but most of the things I got to where it was like, you know, creating, continuing this council, doing the right thing, and then being there to prepare the next person that came in, like setting up parameters, setting up like guides and textbooks and like, you know, being there as a mentor, like our mentors were not there for us B being the exact opposite of being like, no, like, we don't want what happened with Rowanna to happen to us. Like I wanted to be there to gently and helpfully guide the next so that they would have the peace. But I like Kirtland would also have that peace of knowing it's like, great, my job's done. I get to retire. <laughs> I mean, I kind of feel good about Oliver's ending. Um, just kind of like, trying to do something new every day. Uh, just, like taking the cards he was dealt that weren't great and just making something astronomically better than he could have ever imagined. <laughs> and that, and like his goals prior to his accident or prior to meeting or becoming more close with you guys was just like those goals, then they're small potatoes but they seemed so big at the moment. But then as he got older, like his goals and ambitions just like exploded. And so I think seeing all those different avenues to take and just kind of taking all of them. Hmm. Was I was about to say it's nice. so everybody kind of had everybody a part of just, you know, coming of age is, is expectations. So some of you guys as characters had expectations be a little heavier on you than others, but 
for at the briefest moment in evergreen expectations was oliver's only thing mm-hmm. uh, until oliver just kind of stepped away from it mm-hmm. um and it's so interesting to me that oliver started with the expectation of this is your life and ended with i instead i'm going to live every single life <laughs> yeah. in, in a way yeah. in a way yeah. and yeah. through that help restore you know things that i indirectly was a part of and i i i, I knew i knew oliver's ending was going to be wandering off into the ether in some way <laughs> shape or form i knew it was it's gonna my favorite be. thing for a character yes, to do yeah. I, love uh, it. I, I knew it. it was gonna be but i i was like it's 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 so perfect and also it the perfect sense, yeah. like full circle moment of you guys having to trust Oliver and let Oliver go into the you know, mm. multiverse alone. I loved that. Uh, that full circle moment was also one of my favorite moments of the campaign uh, as mm-hmm. well. Oh, it could not have gone any better for Hugh. <laughs> um, I mean, while we're talking about doing what you can with the cards that you're dealt, Oof. Um, Get that card that Hugh drew, uh, I don't remember what it was called. Throne. 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 I, it's like wildly uncanny how perfect mm-hmm. of a draw that was for yep. Hugh. That's just perfect for his character. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't think in the beginning I had any expectation for how things would end for Hugh. Cause as a player, I never wanted this to end. Um, still super sad that this is all done RIP. Um, but no, um, Hugh with a little place on his own in the wilderness, surrounded by nature. Um, you know, no pressures to take over some evil mega corporation. Um, but having magic, uh, specifically transport via plants, be like an immediate connection to all of his friends, mm-hmm. um, where he can kind of have his own space and be in an environment that makes him happy but in an instant be with somebody if, if they need him or if he needs them. Um, so I, I think Hugh came out on top. He had the perfect ending and he got married. Uh, one thing I Wait, did to elementary. No, <laughs> that's think, your that's son. Child. Uh, one thing I did want to talk to you about was the Rowanna thing, because one thing that was really hard throughout the campaign was the Rowanna thing for me, because when I wrote Rowanna, I didn't know if I uh, I didn't know if she was going to be a love interest. I kind of left a young that up for female druid <laughs> with red hair. She goes to a different school. I made her hot. She literally goes to she's a different a druid. school. Of course, she's going to be hot. Um, <laughs> name it's D and D. Everyone's hot. hot. Shout out Emily Axford. Uh, <laughs> um, it's D and D. Everyone's hot, uh, especially Tomifer. Yeah. <laughs> He's, I don't know. I've never described Tomerford. He's socially ever, hot. And I, <laughs> I don't know if I want to in this moment. I, I feel He's like, like I can't not good looking, but he socially looks very hot. unique. Look, I'm just going to put it this way. If you guys do not think Tomerford is attractive, your standards are too high. <laughs> um, Ro- the Rowanna thing was really difficult for me because she was 21 and at the start of the campaign you were 17. So there was kind of this thing where I knew that the campaign in the time that it kind of ended, it could not end with you guys like being together because that would just be a little gross on Rowanna's part. Gross for that. Um, so 
I always had in my mind. And unfortunately I could never talk to you about it because that would almost be like place, like letting you know where the ending is in, in that regard. I can never really talk to you about it and kind of have us on the same page about where it kind of shook out and ended up because in my brain and in the story, I feel like as it was kind of, you know, laid out in the finale there is that it probably takes another like 10 years or so before you and Roanna, like really even not even just like, have the opera like or sorry not even just you know decide that that's something that you both mutually want to pursue um but have the time to consider that you know being a possibility since especially with even though she was you know at the time when you first met 21 and and you by the end of the campaign 18 you're still fucking kids and in reality and and in what in my mind was your guys's very idealistic and wonderful and and quote unquote perfect relationship there's no way that it could have you know started that early without a true foundation of friendship and a true foundation of yourself being in a position in your own life where you're comfortable with yourself and ready for a relationship and mature enough for a relationship of that depth, which is why it kind of ended the way it did. And I know we kind of had different ideas of, of a kind of like lovers moment between the two of them, but that was why in my head, I was like, it is the most beautiful love story of all time. We just don't get to see it at this point in the story because it's too early for it to be like fully realized i could see like a side series of sleep uh, is spin a rom-com between, <laughs> between you and roanna straight up one though, of like, them's a druid of the ocean sleepless just outside of seattle I, uh, to me like <laughs> you so close you and roanna's love story is like the the in my opinion, the greatest love story in the happening of what like, I what I thought was a little weird is how she asked me to run away with her and then felt uncomfortable after all of that. And she was like, actually, since everything did work out in the end, she wasn't so, uncomfortable. No. So if she, I asked you to run away with me, do you expect me to be in love with you? Yes. Zach, if you asked me to run away with you, I'd <laughs> run away with you right now. That's what I thought. <laughs> She wasn't in love with you. She was oh my asking God, they're you to running run away. She was asking so you to great. run away with her. A what, lot. What is love? A right? lot of Rowanna's. Baby, um, don't hurt me. Don't <laughs> no hurt me. This. No, no more. more. A lot of Rowanna's oh. feelings towards you were based on the fact that you guys were stop nodding your heads. <laughs> <laughs> based on the fact shout out saturday night live that you both were druids uh and that you both were you know you know becoming very close friends in that way so she wasn't asking you to run away with her in a romantic way again i mean that's on her though she was 21 <laughs> you're not like, she's not 21 she was can what, you do she, i don't think she me. has to i think that was hugh being in love with her and being like that's to, to me that was hugh being a 17 year old kid in love with a girl who was like oh shit you want me to run away with you and she's thinking like I, we both hate this situation and we're both druids. Wouldn't it be better for the world if we Let's went off and leave. looked after the world? That was that was my thinking on Rohanna's part. And that's what I mean where I felt like that's there was this I, disconnect. I read that that way, Tanner. <laughs> I, I heard it in both ways. I've heard it both ways. I think it was a, I think it was important that Hugh thought of it in the way that you thought of it and that Rowanna thought of it in the way that she thought of it. There's a disconnect. She wasn't in love with Hugh until way after our story ended way after i'm with it 
Also because yeah. she's too old. She's too old. It'd be weird. I mean, Hugh was 18 and he's like, yeah, three years isn't a big deal. It, it doesn't matter. She met you when you were 17. That's a bit she weird, didn't meet yeah. me, David. It's weird. I was, I'm, I'm it, it's weird. I, I, yeah, I was not going to make. I'm not defending this. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm stoking it because it bothers Tanner. <laughs> <laughs> I know you love doing David that. David be stoking. Um, one thing I, I keep trying, I keep starting to go into this conversation and then, and then going off, but I do kind of want to talk about the specifics of verge and the specifics of verges kind of uh birth as a character and inspirations and the big thing that i thought was going to give away verge as if not a villain but a more important character than it, he appeared to be until those last four episodes um was his name uh his name is milton virgil they are both extremely deliberately pulled from uh kind of my inspirations for for verge's character i should have written this down but i'm gonna go off the top of my head there's um uh kind of three major uh two major works of literature that i pulled verge's character or, or, or was inspired by for verge's character and one um real life event that uh kind of flavored uh, not just verge, but his experience with the necroverse, um, uh, paradise lost by, I believe John Milton is, uh, yes, is his name. Um, yeah, that was like one of Milton them. Virgil. Uh, <laughs> yes. That's the point. Um, paradise lost, um, which is a story. It's an old epic poem about, um, everybody's read it in high school. So I know I'm just preaching to the choir, but uh, it's an, actually, it's an old uh, epic poem about uh, kind of creation, uh, the fall of man, the Adam and Eve story. And it's kind of from a perspective where the devil is like, not super bad. There's a lot of, you know, debate between people much smarter than me. Um, I think it's uh, the whole, sorry, I actually can take No, go ahead. I'm pretty sure it's the whole argument of like, you know, the devil was placed there. Yeah. Like it was all God's design for the devil to be there. And so the devil has some semblance of no, like you were forced into this. That's yes. And that, that aspect of verge being kind of a pawn of systems infinitely bigger than him and him just essentially being like a statistic um, mm -hmm. amongst, you know, these bad, bad actors and bad uh, organizations. Um, it was kind of like, yeah, Verge is the bad guy, but like, how do you think he like got there? And why do you think he did bad guy things? Um, that was one. So that was where I pulled part of Verge's name from the other one. Um, Virgil, uh, that name came from Dante's Inferno, uh, where the, um, the, uh, philosopher Virgil guides Dante through, uh, the different circles of hell. And that, was very broadly supposed to be Verge's role is guiding the world, not through like through hell, but by bringing hell like kind of to the world. Verge in Dante's Inferno is more of a you know protagonist guide, uh, helping them kind of navigate it. And in Verge's mind, that's what he's doing. In Verge's mind, we're in we're in hell 
on this earth now because all he's ever known here is pain. All he's ever seen is hypocritical, you know, Christian nationalist beliefs. All he's ever seen is the world turn against all these things that are the things that you guys agreed with, but all that, all that dissonance between the behavior of the world and these concepts of just being a decent human being is what secretly below the surface made verge give up on life on people on all that um and thus making in his own mind him a guide through hell but in reality a guide into hell um Dang. was my thinking there and then the last thing is that uh the last inspiration which was most of verge's experience was based on uh uh the story of a real life serial killer um named joseph callinger um, love that one he uh was he grew up in a horrible horrible household um where his parents uh, i think adopted him uh and basically were like you're gonna work in this shoe store and make shoes and that's why you exist and we don't love you you're a shoemaker um and that was kind of his his growing up relatable uh specifically this is kind of funny specifically I got inspiration from the last pod last podcast on the left's episode about Joseph Callinger. It's a, it's a comedic true crime podcast. So there's parts of it that are very funny. Um, part of, of that story. Uh, it's very, Joseph Callinger is a real fucked up, uh, obviously guy. His, his, you know, crimes were very sexual in nature. Um, they, he was a, he was a real fucked up dude, but he essentially grew up. He had, um, he saw visions and shit, real fucked up visions that were kind of the inspiration of, of the things that verge saw in the necroverse. Um, he, he dug a hole in his house, um, and would, uh, uh, this is very gross. I'm just going to give everybody a warning because we're usually not a true crime thing or anything like that. Check out very, the odd ones podcast. Know, if you want so more old. of this, um, it's so old. This is very gross, but Joseph Callinger had a hole in his house that he dug that he thought God wanted him to shit and come into all the time. So he just had a hole in his house full of his own shit and come, um, just like then that was kind of the stinky <laughs> are you gonna cry say? piss your pants maybe <laughs> maybe shouldn't come uh -oh, um what <laughs> uh just a really disgusting home and environment um and one of the ways that they would portray a lot of the voices and visions that he would hear on the last podcast episode is Henry Zabrowski would do this voice of God in like an old timey radio voice. Listen here, Joseph, I need you to murder, murder, murder and kill, kill, kill. That's what you need to do. And it was a bit that they were doing in the show. But when I heard that, I was like, that's horrifying uh and like straight up that was like the probably the most direct inspiration of wow. bringing the radio voice um into kind of the the verge experience um uh the joseph calendar story is very interesting if you're into true crime it is a very interesting listen um super fucked up though just a warning um but those were kind of the three main uh inspirations and and framings of ne the necroverse and verge uh themselves as kind of a, a story character in this um in this story 
This podcast is brought to you by podcasts. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Technically, yes. Yeah. There is no such thing as an original idea. Um, we have a little bit more time. This is a little. I'm kind of allowing this to be a little bit longer of an after party. Uh, obviously, um, you we better. have a little bit more time. I want to talk about some more what if stuff if we have them. One thing I want to uh, posit as a conversation starter is the ending and kind of the open-endedness of certain things the probably first thing of, of which to i think would be the thing to speak about is hiram ellis oh yes please and Some the monk open-endedness of his disappearance um are there any questions that we have that we want to kind of start i could just tell you what i know about that yeah, that'd be great yeah tell us um Hiram Ellis uh, snuck away during the battle of Nashville. Um, he never spoke to you guys. And there was a specific reason um, that he never spoke to you guys at, at the end there uh, of the campaign. And, and that's he, why he was using message. Yes. Okay. There was a reason that he was doing that. Had you like essentially manhandled him or like kind of, forced magic upon him or got through any of his legendary resistances or him counterspelling things. Um, his mouth, he had turned into a like pocket dimension where he was keeping the vizier card unused. Um, the story ends with Hiram finding a place hidden away, still having never spoken, still, having never used the vizier card whoa and just kind of keeping that in his back pocket doesn't it go away after a year goes away after a year goes away after a year so it's it's gone yeah but he doesn't he might not necessarily know that i mean i i all i can tell I you is that he would know all i can tell you is that he disappeared and when he disappeared he had not used the vizier and card. it was just to be his ace in the hole Dang. And then I also have to ask, because me and Roman were too obsessed with Hiram for too long. What did he know? Um, like, oh, about like, the Necroverse situation? Yeah, like, Oliver went and talked to him, and then like afterwards, he were like, you were like, it seems like Hiram knows something, but what the fuck did he know? Um, or was he just a posturing bastard the whole time? Basically nothing. He basically knew nothing. I knew I, it. hate him. Um, I knew it. Yeah, he I basically... Okay, Roman well, took here's his the thing. Of here's peace. the thing. Roman still has a guillotine. If he ever finds Hiram, he's killing him. Um, here's the thing. Um, Hiram knew enough to Hiram had a reason to not trust or like verge yeah. weirdly the only thing that he had as an upper hand at that moment that when Oliver went to go talk to him he'd be the only person to be like verge is a fucking piece of shit not a real Christian it must be him so like his own stupid hatred and disliking of verge just because verge essentially wasn't on his side i was right the whole time yes exactly like, yes uh, yeah it's just like no you just didn't like the guy when you throw stones at every glass house <laughs> yeah. eventually you're gonna hit someone's house who deserves to have some fucking stones thrown you know what i mean yeah. like that's kind of the that was kind of the vibe with it sounds like with victim blaming hiram <laughs> um <laughs> god i hate Hiram. um but uh uh 
that was kind of his thing is he was like, I knew that Verge was bad. I had someone, you know, figure out where Verge used to live and everything and kind of like knew enough to piece together. Like, okay, seems like Verge is the one they're after. So I'm just going to introduce a little bit of chaos and kind of make everybody go crazy and kind of, you know, be like, oh, I know stuff. So you got to let me out. They're also like, had you been like, we need Hiram's help. A hundred percent also would have been a case where Hiram would have tried to backstab you mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. any at any first opportunity. We kind of wrote him out of the story. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Absolutely, we did. You you made the correct decision in not trusting him and cutting him out mm-hmm. of like he he full on was a hundred percent like that vision that Roman had that was funny because Hiram's such a fucking douchebag where he, the world is ending. And in your vision, he's sitting upon a throne of the corpses of your friends and calling you a loser and stupid. <laughs> like what a fucking joke. Like Wait, that, uh, which, which arch being was it? Who was in the sky? Uh, uh, Willowa. Willowa. Why was Willowa's greatest fear? Hiram. We never got into that. Yeah. Um, uh, That's a good a, question. A lot of it is Willowa seeing right through Hiram, like mm. zero, zero tolerance of this dude. No, bullshit knowing filter. how dangerous he is kind of it, more. His greatest fear was kind of Hiram becoming what he was about to become, mm-hmm. um, which is why you guys talking to him was so important in him casting the vote uh, and keeping Hiram off the council was so important because it was it was a fear and it was also you know kind of conflicting with this idea that i wanted to be shared with some of the people in the party of like this is i don't want i didn't ask to be a part of the fucking council i'm here to look after in a way he's kind of a druid he isn't a druid but in a way he looks after the earth and the weather and nature Mm -hmm. in that regard similar to you guys or similar to to hugh and roanna um and he was like that's i don't want to fucking deal with this stupid fucking council it's not my job to vote so i'm going to remember totally out of it and as much as I could stand up to Hiram like I don't want to show my face and be a part of this thing I don't want to betray my own beliefs to like that kind of like you know he he wanted to stay uninvolved uh, even if it meant you know stopping himself from confronting his own fear about Hiram becoming powerful or stopping himself from you know uh, essentially remaining in his mind loyal to the skies in that regard I, I do love Willow as a character because the second shit went sideways with the Necroverse, he was like, I'm going to kill him. He's super <laughs> powerful. And, and and I wish we got to explore a little bit more of Willow. Yeah. Um, there was just too many characters. Yeah. Well. Oh, one character we really did not get to explore in this campaign, which I thought we were going to way more was Robert. Robert. Yeah. yeah. Robert yeah. kind of got the. Sorry, uh, no? Uh, Robert the, the, Ar- the, uh, uh, <laughs> the Armada. Robert the Armada. Um, kind of Transformers Armada. Kind of got the. Um, I am uh, going to transform into a truck. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's don't. It's a. We can't do. We can't do. That's not. That is, is not an inside is, bit. That is a real thing that almost happened. What, I know. Do you, we, I don't. We're talking about. Um, we were bringing bringing it up at Sarah's birthday party the other day. Where uh, I have birthday, was, Sarah. Uh, uh, Transformers. The, yeah, like the, the movie. The, the the TV show they did the movies they did like an online poll yes those movies they did like an online poll of like hey everybody vote what line you want to be in the next movie and everyone on the internet was like we know what to fucking do and the one that they voted was I am now going to transform into a truck sent by Optimus Prime. <laughs> <laughs> 
They didn't do it. The, the coward. Creators vetoed it. Michael Bay. Look what you took away from us. You cowards. <laughs> That's the best line. The in amount cinema. of ex- the amount of explosions and lens flares that happened oh, instead of that line make me really Look, mad. Um, for our listeners, I, I I tend to avoid the internet, and this is why. <laughs> Anyways, Robert. Anyways, Robert. Um, I had it in my mind for part of the second arc that there would be this situation where Roman plays football with the Tennessee Titans. Nice. And that would be kind of an encounter of shit going sideways while Roman's on the field. Um, I didn't wow. know exactly like what a Bane moment. Thank be. God that didn't happen. I don't know enough about football. To <laughs> I would have helped you. It's it fine. doesn't matter. Uh, I would have had to come up with football That's rules true, for yeah. D&D. So I was well, like, okay. I was like you also have to do that stuff. for Aaron Aronson. I mean, so football like, plays last but not like a real six game. seconds anyway. So I feel like it'd be pretty easy. I would have loved if Roman got to play against Aaron. Um, that would different universe. Um, exactly. We, the different happenings of the football. There, nope. It's all right. Right now, I think they're kicking field goals through Tiamat's heads. <laughs> I like that Tiamat is dead in the after party. Yeah. <laughs> um, which Why would Tiamat be alive? Well, it technically makes sense with the lore because mm-hmm. there's only one Tiamat. There isn't wow. like multiple happenings of in within the Necroverse. There's only Dang. one Necroverse. Think about all those evil people that now don't have a deity to serve. Well, I'm kind of wondering as far as like other happenings go, are there other happenings of like all of these campaigns? Like, are there, <gasps> he other, smiled. Like, are there other happenings? Are happening? I'm going to open it this up. I'm going to open this up to a conversation between you guys and your guys' thoughts about lore that has been introduced in Evergreen and Iris and how you think that might affect other stories that we tell. Well, you talked about the analogy of like the sandwich, right? Mm -hmm. And we talked a little bit about like what type of sandwich Spyros would be. A a patty melt. Spyros, did so we say Nathan, Spyros can you, is can a patty melt? Yes. I think we did say more about the you were very melt. into it. That is, I mean, yeah, Spyros. I love patty melts. That's why I said Spyros it. is a patty melt. I mean, it's the same analogy that Tanner presented with the evergreen iris sandwich of just like a stacked, like I think of like a deli club, like, mm-hmm. like just kind of like multiple layers of bread, lettuce, cheese, meat, all that, tomato, all that biz. <clears throat> um, what is on the Spyros patty melt? I mean, Listen, all I got to really say is that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I, so honestly, I, I, that no, tracks. No, so, so the, the thing is, is like, I don't I, I I am in a weird position also because I am also a DM on the Foes and Fables podcast series. And lucky you. Um, hey, man. <laughs> no, I know. I, I'm sorry. That came across sarcastic. <laughs> Truly, that was genuine. Okay. Well, either way, I'm saying we've lucky seen you. multiversal like occurrences before, like in um, Doorbusters and Doorbusters Archeo. and Archeo. Like it's not just in evergreen and iris so i think it was just expounded upon it's yeah and i think it's really cool and adds a lot of possibility and i like the question of are there other happenings of other like worlds that we have presented where the characters exist in another universe and like like there's another scooter there's another stan there's another aaron like all these other things and like yeah i don't know i it opens the door for a lot of things. And I think the easiest comparison is like Marvel. Cause Marvel's doing that. 
podcast actively and but they were also doing it in like the 60s so like it's been a thing um and they're the ones to like do it the best probably um i think it's just like i said before it's just an open door for literally anything and everything and i think i think there are i would say yes to there are alternate alternate versions of all the characters within yeah. each world that we're presenting. And, and, and if we've seen connections between like doorbusters and Archeo and things mm-hmm. like that, I just want to put this out there. However, many of these alternate realities or universes there are scooter prime <laughs> wants to find all of them. I, that's an idea I got to <laughs> wrestle with. Now. I really like knowing just now this lore and like Tanner loves this part of our after parties where he just gets to sit back and like not make any facial expressions. But I love that you just told us that there is only the one Tiamat and like what implications that has for the rest of those different universes. We also know there's only one Santa Claus. Like yeah, there's only one like there are, and there's a whole now Santa Claus, Santa Santa planet. This this begs the question: Is there now a power gap? Maybe. I mean, because there was uh, there was already this big thing that's happening with the Githyanki and Githserai that we learned about in Doorbusters. There is the ability to travel to different universes through Larry and his Subaru. We don't know what's going to happen in Archeo Two, but we're so freaking excited. There's also, so there's one other thing that like, and I'm going to use a different analogy and it's, we've used it with like the tree analogy of like brutes and branches. Like we are the original timeline with our four characters. Like we are the base, Oliver base, Roman, all that stuff. And then there are branches going off it. One, just within that same tree, confusing aspect is the fact that Oliver is currently repairing branches in a way, because that can fuck up a lot of things Mm. from like a theoretical physics standpoint, as far as I understand it. Of like, if he's repairing branches, that's not the same branch it originally was, but it's also allowing more branches to form from the ones he went to, and it gets really weird from there. But also, are there other point. are there other trees? Because we have these bases. Yeah. It's like, is there is there a parallel Spiros and like Christmas time tree that have their own branches, or is it all one branch with overlapping my, realities? My understanding, within? if we're using our tree analogy, is that it's basically an orchard. Where like, you know, there is one tree that is the happening of the evergreen iris, you know, or like where all the happenings of the iris evergreen is, is one tree where another tree is. That doesn't mean that things can't be grafted where like you, you know, you take, you take some part of another one tree and make it into another, or you propagate something Mm -hmm. or you go through and fix things like, like, uh, Oliver's doing, but then you also have these interesting things like, I mean, I think Larry with the Subaru is that biggest thing where he can travel to different universes and that changes things. And so, I mean, I'm very excited to play Archeo too, because I think it might answer a lot of questions and probably pose even so many more. more, Yeah. I'm excited to learn more about this lore with the Githyanki Githserai and seeing how like that has played out in typical D and D settings and lore versus how it affects our podcast universe um there are aspects of this conversation that i um am ready to have but am waiting for you guys to say it essentially i'm ready um no i'm no i'm kind of like there's aspects of this conversation that i could certainly expound upon more in this moment but i am kind of waiting for you guys to touch on it first if that makes sense um so there 
definitely are, are this is definitely an important conversation for sure but i can't really expound upon things until i feel like you guys have kind of opened like certain doors of conversation yourselves because i'm not just going to kind of you know unveil mysteries in front of you without being prompted to do so essentially I mean, the other thing Dang. we think about is Clinker Dagger. Clinker Dagger was made outside the confines of the multiverse to go through all of them and destroy Oliver. Wasn't so Clinker there is... Dagger... Wait, did I miss this? Was Clinker Dagger not made by Tiamat? No. no he was made in like a void He was by made by the, by the Metal we, Snowman. So we still don't know what... what the Metal Snowman made. ants. No. So there are metal, things wait, outside what? the multiverse. You saw a being that was metal that had uh, like basically three circles on its body. And arms. Wings. Or metallic arms. It was a robot. It had eyes in each you of the circles. You didn't name this thing in its body. You didn't get a name. Well, you saw an this right now. That's the big bad evil guy of the Foes and Fables cinematic universe. Okay. Um, I think that's gotta have so, like that's gotta be some sort of either there is you know how we've understood the Necroverse is Tanner saying it's like you know I mean if we're gonna use our sandwiches thing it's all the parts of the ingredients that has fallen off into one big pile and yeah. made this weird mess and so or as tanner called maker. it the afterbirth of the universe Ew, that's what he called it um and so there's got to be that. that but there's also probably got to be a starting or center point um you know there are all these if, if we're using our tree the example we have to that works <laughs> if if we're using our tree example there is an orchard but who is running that orchard mm -hmm. you know, who planted all those trees who planted the trees and exceptions and, and i then, feel like we're like getting Christmas a universe we're getting a small list like our list is horribly small at mm -hmm. the current moment but like we're getting a list of people and, and checking, we're checking it, it twice. twice thank you thank you anyway um <laughs> but like those outliers are clearly like I don't want to say like top dogs of like everything, but they're definitely special. Mm -hmm. um, and they're like the bushes and the grass. Yeah, the I, yeah well, like it, you can't have an orchard without a farmer. Like, like we you need can't have some, an orchard without worms. It true. Like yeah. there's dirt, <laughs> but uh, like yeah, there is dirt. In there an is orchard. dirt Very in an orchard. Good. Yeah, <laughs> but like I don't know. I, I think you drew it of the earth. There's <laughs> a lot more that we don't know at the current time and i know yeah. you're saying tanner that like we have to like kind of present that we understand it at the moment i don't know if there's enough in not even present so, that you so understand it more just kind of there are certain things that you could say that would allow me to kind of answer your questions okay. yeah um i would like you to answer my question no, i mean Dang. like well so I, I guess my question it's a riddle. is like <laughs> so if if the happenings are the branches and the universes are the trees and all this is an orchard then who are the tourists riding in on the hayride? That's got to be the, the gift Yankee and the gifts are I. Bingo. We cracked it wide open. I, I <laughs> cannot talk about this. Dang. Yeah, I... Yeah, I mean, we're, we're at a place know. right now where, I like, go down with the info that we have, we're just going to keep talking this in circles, and Tanner wants us to get to a specific point that, you know, maybe in a different happening we get to. Um, <laughs> but in this happening right now, I don't think we're getting there tonight, and that is sad. I, th I think we, unfortunately, have to play more D&D. Not unfortunate. Un yeah. Fortunately, so we have to play more D&D. &D <laughs> We've got to write another script. Okay, but the, the unfortunate part, I think, is we have to get to like the end of several campaigns to even really glean more information. Cause I think all the information that we have gleaned about like the multiverse and all that stuff is at the end of all these campaigns that we played. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I think we'll unlock certain pieces, but we're not going to see the full puzzle picture until like what you're talking about. Which is, I mean, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't want. I wouldn't want to uh, yeah, know the full yeah. puzzle picture right now. But. I'm hopeful about Archeo too. And I weirdly also have <laughs> a part announced. in this, which is yeah. also confusing to me. My, re- I'll say this: yeah. my relationship to Nathan's uh, world of Spyros in this is that me and Nathan have talked, and me and Nathan have essentially agreed upon. I can toss stuff to Nathan and he can decide whether or not he wants to introduce it into Spyros, mm. essentially. Um, I can kind of put, introduce things like and I can kind of do could the same affect, thing back to uh, you. Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah. And, and I can kind of like, just be like, put this in the orbit of Spyros and whether or not he wants it to crash land down on to Spyros that is up to Nathan. So that is kind of the relationship there between myself and Nathan. Makes sense. Tanner answers to Nathan. Nathan answers to me. I answer to Zach. (laughs) Zach answers to Sturge. Absolutely not. This all ends with you, Sturge. (laughs) We are kind of... I answer to to no man. We are kind of getting to the end of this episode. Are there any other things that we kind of want to talk about? Uh, What if special moments? The whole campaign was special. Yes. You told me to ask this question in the after party because I asked you like I didn't tell you to ask your question. He no, put a I gun asked you, to his I head. Asked you this, Okay. I asked you this question like a month ago and you said ask me in the after party. The answer is complicated. Oh, interesting. Re- uh, remind me of the question. Uh, so we had Hiram. Do you Arch- like me? Yes or no? <laughs> the answer is yes. <gasps> Are you the one eating my fucking... <laughs> Will you uh, be no. my girlfriend? So Hiram is an archfaith. Hiram is around 70, 80 years old. Okay. Verge, we learned, is around the same age. We know they're at least close in age. Hiram was an archfaith. Verge was an archfaith. Archfaith replaces archfaith. That's how the arch system works as you established it. Would Verge have replaced Hiram? Verge is not an archfaith. Verge is an arch being of undetermined moniker. Okay. Dang. Wait, so that's what you mean? He's the arch unknown? What's the moniker? (laughs) You don't know. Well, yes, it's the end of the campaign. Just tell us. You don't know. He's dead. There are still aspects of this story. As much as this story has concluded, there are aspects of this world and universe that still are unanswered and still are actively like, Dang. you know, moving forward in, in like, he's talking place. about Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that I wanted to bring up. I, I, I was, a little disappointed uh, with the finale because I was hoping for a little bit of an epilogue. Um, did Anthony ever get to finally open up his sandwich shop? He already did. Yeah, like in world, he already did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. We Wasn't it like he found Hawaii? success and was yes, in, in, in Hawaii. Hawaii. Yeah, doing really it well. Cool. Wait, so you saying that there's still unanswered things and like things moving and active and whatnot. I know this campaign is over. But is it over um, live shows? <laughs> your world, the world, the if we want to stay with the analogy, the sandwich of evergreen iris has not been eaten yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's better than whatever you were going to sure, say. I guess so. Um, <laughs> not. I don't know. It still actively exists. That it's is still what being fried. It's not even finished yeah. yet. I mean, if I had to make a guess and like, I can't wait to look back at this in like, I don't know, a year and laugh at how wrong I was. But like, I have a feeling that there's going to be some point infos and fables that like a character returns to the the happening of Iris Evergreen 
and that's going to impact things for them that may impact things going back going forward whatever i would imagine we're 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 i think we're done with this story but like he said yeah like the world is still up for grabs if there is character if there are characters that can traverse happenings multi multi-dimensional travel multi-universal travel and there's a maybe start end point all that stuff like there is no way to definitively say the world of iris evergreen is closed unless we just like destroyed that hat that that universe so bricks showed up in doorbusters right Bricks. That's Todd. Tox. Thank you, Tox. Thank you. Both Sorry. lizards. Yeah. True. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. Okay. Please excuse that. Tox, right? Both Shows up in Doorbusters, right? Yeah. Oliver is traversing the multiverses. The theme I'm getting here, I think all of Nathan's characters are just yeah. going to wind up showing up. In We've places. talked about this before. Nathan, Nathan is my door opener. Yeah. Nathan. Wait, hold on. No, no. I thought Oliver was just doing within the happening. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then he, Tox is going to different the terminology yes. for multiverse splits into two different things. Yeah. Happenings or timelines within a universe. Different universes are different universes that have their yeah. own set of happenings. Yes. And and so and that's the dream. <laughs> one is, is a Jersey Mike's. Me. One is a Jimmy John's. Yeah, one is a subway spend time. You spend oh. enough time traveling <laughs> happenings. You're going to figure out how to get out of the universe. So I think Maybe. Oliver could probably get there eventually. I think what I think is hilariously funny is that Larry is doing that already in his little Subaru quite easily and easily. Yeah, it shows how advanced <gasps> this this system of gift yonking gifts are I is Tox has achieved Larry what Oliver wants to do way before Oliver has. big bad evil guys at I just I can't wait until Oliver somehow crash lands onto the Subaru and suddenly we end up getting all of Nathan's characters in one car oh my gosh guys is this all just a Subaru commercial <laughs> <laughs> I like to imagine that this Subaru, is like pick us up. That's <laughs> what Sturge, what you said is going to happen. And it's just going to be Nathan at the table. Um, doing all that. <laughs> Tanner's not even going to be there. <laughs> It's gonna it's be just, an, it's a Spyro session. It's a Spyro session, so you're DMing. All phone. your characters just have it. You're just talking to yourself. Holy fuck! Could you imagine if I wrote all this shit just to prank Nathan? Those like animals gave me multi personality disorder. <laughs> what happened, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to Schizophrenics and Fables. Wow. Dude, you're Moon Knight. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. That's so fucking funny. Oh. You're Moon Knight, but. A lizard with a sniper rifle. Well, um, I think <laughs> that's how we end it. I huh? think um, I think I'm going to wrap it here. Um, first off, just thank you for listening, everyone. Mm -hmm. um, it means so much to be able to tell this story and to tell it with uh, each other and kind of just really just play this game like straight up just play this game that we love and tell stories and enjoy each other's company. Um, and we appreciate that you guys kind of help make that possible and help, you know, feed, uh, our ambition to, you know, meet up consistently and, and play and everything. And, and it just means a lot. So thank you. We hope you guys have enjoyed it. We're really glad uh, that those of you who have enjoyed it, um, have, and, um, we are, uh, so excited to bring you more. And, in this moment, I am going to move from host Tanner to narrator Tanner. 
would you all in this after party room where we're recording this podcast, please give me a little yelp as the floor opens up down beneath you and you all fall into the basement. You all crash into the basement of the after party house. How much damage do we take? You don't see me. <gasps> um, you in the darkness are trying to like. Uh, I have dark vision. You don't. <laughs> You're all yourselves. You're all yourselves. B is for gun. Um, you in the darkness kind of like try to adjust your eyes, but there's like no light. And somewhere bouncing, echoing through this basement room, you just hear, I'm so glad you're here. Help! Grandma? I'm your biggest fan. (laughs) What? (laughs) Oh, sorry, I'm a little starstruck to meet. Tyler? The Foes and Fables crew. It's not Tyler, but he was a wonderful addition to the Iris story. What a wonderful thing to do. How are you all? I'm well. How are you? Who goes there? I think I broke my leg. I think I peed myself. If a quiz is quizzical, what is a test. If a testicle! <laughs> My name is Brian. It's not testicle, it's Brian. Hi. You see coming out of the shadows, um, do you n- remember the, like, peanut people in the Proud Family movie? <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, uh, I do. Super skinny do. arms and yep. legs, kind of a, like, pot belly, like, very, like, nude and golem-like gray skin, uh, and an enormous skull with a brain way too big, way too big, um, uh, for the rest of their body, um, this right. creature with big eyes, uh, uh, Brian just says, I've been, I've been listening to Foes and Fables since you guys started. <laughs> and I'm just really glad you're here. I just, I, I wanted to, I wanted to give you a little gift, if that's okay. I love gifts. Yeah. That gift is gonna be your lives, okay? You've made a wonderful story with Evergreen and Iris, so I feel like that'd be a good time to go out with a bang, you know what I mean? Like your lives, like that, like call it. I'm losing a lot of blood over here. So Wait, so you're giving us our lives by taking it? If you can earn them. I'm dead. That's not a gift. By earning enough points. That's wages. Uh Joke's on you. My life isn't valuable. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) By earning enough points. In this little quiz that I've put together for you. Oh, yes. Aren't you excited? Yes! Uh, I throw a uh, wood plank at the head. Um, The second that you throw a wood plank out of the shadows, I rise up and I'm like, 
oh fuck <laughs> I hit my head and the wood plank hits me in the head and I, I fall back down into unconsciousness um, um, can I make a quick perception check I want to look for a sharpie um, you don't see any sharpies down here it, can I check my pockets <laughs> you don't have any sharpies can on I you. check my backpack no you don't have your backpack can um, I roll a luck check to see if I get anyone's attention in the stop party stop it let me tell this story <laughs> Brian wait but we're literally here with yes. you Brian keeps speaking and he just says I have a little quiz for you and if you can pass this evergreen and iris quiz and not die I'll let you go back up to the after party how does that sound Tanner is this your way of saying that if we don't pass then only some of us get to do the after party moving forward (laughs) what a wonderful time we're going to have is um, this how you decide our employment contracts? In that moment, I rise back up out of the shadows and I'm like, oh shit, fuck. Okay, don't worry, guys. I remember like so much stuff about Evergreen and Iris. Hey, I- Tanner. Yeah? I'm just really confused. Can you help me understand something real quick? Yeah. You created all of this. You created Brian. I didn't create Brian. I have nothing but, to do with you're, this. You're, you, Tanner. I'm so after party Tanner. Tanner. I have nothing Brian. to do with any what of this. You, you wrote... David, you're you after wrote- party David. Who? This isn't the guy that wrote us. Wait, then who's us? Who are we? Brian just says, this is getting really meta, and also there's no way I'm going to let him help you. He knows way too much. Wait, <gasps> how is there a basement? We're in an apartment complex. Brian pulls out a Glock and unloads the clip into the back of my head. Uh, what? I cast, I cast you counter spells. You don't have any spells. You don't have any spells. <laughs> you don't have any spells. You, After party David you, casts counter You watch spell. me get riddled with bullets execution style Good in the back Lord. of my head. Um, my I, favorite musical so, artist. I run up to your body and I start sucking at the bullet hole. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like and a, that's like, where we will return next like, week. It's like a rattlesnake for bite. the first ever episode of Quiz or Die. <laughs> a quiz about the Evergreen and Iris campaigns for you to play along with our players next week. Uh, thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review in your play- favorite listening platform. Share us with your friends. Join the Discord and join the Patreon if you want Woo! more bonus content so like I this. if I suck all the bullets out, you'll be okay. Who knows? I guess we'll see next week. Play that music. We're out of here. Play Goodbye. Music. Why? 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 Why?